Hello, and welcome to the second in this new series of podcasts from the Leaders Performance Institute and our partners, Conduct. My name is John Porch, editor here at the Leaders Performance Institute, and over the course of this series, you'll hear from human performance experts across the world discussing best practice, the role of performance data, and what the future of athlete and intelligence management systems might look like. In this second episode of the Conduct Athlete Management Series, I sat down with Brandon McDaniel, who's the head of strength and conditioning at the LA Dodgers of Major League Baseball. He delved into the ways athlete management systems have evolved in MLB, as well as how tech is allowing him to ask new and different performance questions. He also explained how data at the Dodgers is being used to make athletes faster, stronger and healthier. Here is our conversation. Brandon, welcome to the Conduct Athlete Management Series podcast. Thanks, John, for having me. Really appreciate it. Well, it's fantastic to have this opportunity, and I wanted to talk to you about your work at the Dodgers. You've been there for nearly eight years now, and looking through the lens of an SNC coach, can you describe how athlete management systems have evolved in the major leagues over that time? Yeah, sure. The uh, you know the biggest thing that I've seen, and and this is my eleventh season in uh, in professional baseball, and about fifteenth as a strength coach. The first thing that we saw out of an athlete management system was really a, just an injury tracker um, and, and that it was established, uh, you know, around 2009, 2010, where it was kind of everybody had, had the same thing in Major League Baseball uh, to make it easier to make trades, free agents, things like that. So we just knew what was going on with all the guys. So that was kind of the first thing. And obviously, from a strength conditioning perspective, it didn't do a whole lot for us, except for maybe give us a little bit of previous history uh, with those guys. So we knew what we you know, were up against when we were training them or getting them ready for a season or, or you know, trying to build something out. And then uh, it really became Excel. Um, you know, I, I really started to dive in with our staff, trying to understand, A, why guys were getting hurt, B, why their training wasn't effective, why they were not performing, why they could maybe go out one day and be unbelievable and the next day go out and look like they you know, were struggling really poorly. And, and as a strength coach, I think generally when there's poor performance, you blame yourself. Um, and so we were doing tons of Excel workbooks tons of them. And, and it was just mind blowing how many tabs that we had or how many folders that we had or how many desktops we had. And I'm really the most organized person in the world anyway. And it was just too much to keep up with. And so about 2014, you know, and I think that the athletes, you know, athlete management systems have been around for a while, but at 2014, we started to come into our own a little bit as a staff and, and realize that like, okay, we're ready to take kind of the next step. We, we know some things, we have some variables we want to look for and control. Um, and so we started making the rounds and was really lucky to come across uh, conduct. I was introduced to them by a few different people, Bill Burgos, who used to be with the Magic, used to be the Knicks, was also with the Pirates with me, was one of the first ones to uh, introduce me to Travis, um, as well as a few other strength coaches that were out there as well. And we just initially, you know, we we hit it off. And I looked at them and, and, and didn't want to have something so cookie cutter like some of the other companies that were out there because I wanted to be able to grow into a system and, and not be controlled by the variables that they wanted to have, but be able to set my own parameters up. And I felt like Conduct gave us the best opportunity to um, be able to look in the future a little bit more than some of the others were. It's interesting that you mentioned growing into the system there. What were some of your initial questions and how did Conduct and your athlete management system enable you to answer those questions? 
Well, the first thing that we we really looked at was building out a strength platform um, to be able to communicate back and forth with uh, our players in the offseason. So in SNC and baseball, we play, you know, the major league level, we play 162 games in 185 days. At the minor league level, we play 142 games in 150 days. That doesn't sound very like uh, <laughs> formidable for a true training cycle. So so we the time that we need to train these guys to make them better athletes, not just better baseball players, is typically in the offseason. And that's the one time that we don't have them very much. Now we've set up some things since then that have been really, really helpful. But conduct has been huge, especially for the young kid when we want to send a video to him to explain an exercise to the older player who just needs a template that uh, he can follow in the offseason and send us little notes back and forth throughout or the free agent that we sign in December that's like, hey, I've never really had a true strength conditioning program. Can you help me out with this? And we send them over the app and we send them over the, um, you know, we send them over the login and all of a sudden he's like, holy cow, I've never had a workout with videos on there and sets and reps and blah and blah. And, and it's it's been, it's surprisingly been even better than I imagined. The second thing is this whole workload thing. And like workload monitoring has obviously been huge in soccer and rugby and European sports forever. And I, I think basketball, I think we're going to learn some interesting things about basketball workload as, as you watch some of these major players go down in the playoffs and, and you watch like some of these guys not even be able to play in the playoffs. Like, I don't know if we know as much as we think we should about American sports workload. And that's kind of the one of the questions that conducts is trying to help us answer right now is what we can dive into. What are the variables? They have so many APIs where we can drop in things from pitch effects. They give us spin rate and velo, and they also give us strength speed from Statcast or the other thousand variables that they potentially have. And then we throw some of our external workload monitors in there at the same time. And now we're starting to kind of put a little bit of a formula together to give us a footprint of what an athlete is capable of doing and what they're capable of not doing. So it sounds like you're going to be busy on any given day making use of those windows you have with the players as and when. I imagine time is often a commodity you don't have, particularly if you're required to look at different sources of information, maybe a spreadsheet on heart rate or some kind of practice information. So how important is it to consolidate these workflows from day to day? Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly helpful. We have gotten into, especially on the movement side, just so much more with the way we look at throwing mechanics, hitting mechanics, things like that. Um, you know, I'm, I don't oversee medical. Um, medical is run by Ron Porterfield, our director of player health, Neil Ramp, our head trainer at the major league level. They're using the system as well to put all their numbers in. So when we sit down and maybe have an injury or maybe have a performance issue and we want to collaborate, like we can all just pop out our laptops right there, pull up, conduct, look at the numbers that maybe we put together, run one, you know, one widget and <laughs> everything pops up right in front of us in a matter of seconds. And so it takes, again, going back to the days of Excel, it takes hours of like, man, I can't find this folder. Give me a, give me a little bit of time and I'll, I'll find it to give me 30 seconds and I'll pull everything that we need to know right now. We'll rescreen the guy and we'll find out where he's at. Brandon, one of the things that strikes me about baseball from across the Atlantic here is the number of affiliate clubs you may have. So does consistency across your athlete management system enable you to have consistency across your affiliate clubs as well? Yeah, I mean, again, that was another huge thing when uh, when we started looking at conduct was the the ability to spread this out all the way to you know we have two teams in the Dominican Republic that use this. We have um, a team in we have two teams in Arizona that will start play right after the draft. We have a team in Ogden, Utah. We have a team in Midland, Michigan. 
Rancho Cucamonga, California, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, and then the big league team. Like we have 300 athletes in our system, and we don't. We're, we're not teaching kids workouts. We're not teaching them programs. We're we're introducing them to our philosophy and our system. And you can't have a philosophy in a system if you don't have consistency, and if you don't have guidelines that kind of surround that and conduct is really what what kind of governs that for us. Back to the conversation in a moment, but first a quick word about conduct. Regardless of whether you're a coach just trying to track and train your athletes, or a performance director leading multiple staff and juggling a variety of data sources, Kinduk's athlete intelligence and management systems will help you better understand your athletes to drive improved performance. Kinduk's broad range of tools allows you to consolidate various data sources, analyze the information for actionable insights, collaborate on programming across multiple departments or locations, and deliver that plan for a variety of athlete-facing engagement solutions. Find out what hundreds of elite sports organizations already know and let Kinduct help provide you with the right information, with the right tools, at the right time to help inform your decisions. For more information, check out Kinduct.com. And now, back to the Kinduct Athlete Management Series. Brandon, the growing sophistication of athlete management systems is enabling you to measure more than ever with these players. And so I want to ask you, how is tech allowing you to ask new and different performance questions? Man, <laughs> um, it's kind of, it's all happened so fast. It's kind of blended together a little bit and I'll do the best that I can. But let's, let's first talk about the players and, and how much I respect their stance and how much I respect the fact that, that this is their information and we never want to put them in a position where they feel like that you know uh, money is going to be taken out of their pocket or playing time is going to be taken away from them or that they're going to be frowned upon by the organization in any way whatsoever so you know with that being said if we can find a way to enhance sleep with some type of technology if we can objectively uh you know identify that and score it so the athlete can see it whether it's through uh, you know, a readiness band or it's through um, a wellness questionnaire that we use on conduct with all of our minor league players. Like now we have a little bit of info of how they feel, how they slept last night, how they feel today. Um, just generally what, how they're looking at life. Are they positive today? Are they negative? It gives us a little bit of info uh, for the way that we coach them. So there's, there's, there's one little avenue that we can go down and kind of learning a little bit of the internal workload of what's going on inside the brain and the body and how we can approach that day with them. Maybe we had high workload planned for them and we need to back it off a little bit, or maybe we had low workload planned for them based on the last couple of days. And all of a sudden they come in and they're green light, like, let's go, let's go get better. You know, the second part of it, when we talk about workload, again, most of the time we were talking about at bats and we were talking about pitches. So a player could go get four ABs and it would be counted um, the same as a player who got four ABs and hit four doubles that he had to slide at second base because, they, you know, they're bang, bang plays. And so those are two totally different things. So with technology, now all of a sudden we can measure, all right, this guy is running 21 miles an hour. Uh, to get to second base and he's holding it for X amount of seconds versus the guy who went, you know, over four with four ground outs and he ran 15 miles an hour down the line because they were all easy plays. And so now we can start to distinguish a little bit between that workload. And at the same time, we can do the same thing with, uh, with pitching. We can look and see if characteristics are slipping off, not just velocity, 
we can pay attention to those things as pitch count goes up, as pitch count in inning goes up, as you know, stressful innings go up with runners at second place, second base. So we can identify those things a lot quicker than we normally were able to in the past. Now you've already touched upon this a little bit, but how will the information and data you collect be used to make players faster, stronger, and healthier? And what are the factors that drive success in this regard? We know that one aspect of performance, such as recovery, will affect others, whether that's strength training, practice, or even game day performance. Yeah, let's take an outfielder, for instance, and maybe he's young and he has a low training age and we haven't lifted with him much and we use StatCast and we can identify step reaction, we can identify acceleration, so the first 10 to 20 feet, we can accelerate and we can then identify top end speed. So all of a sudden we look at an outfielder who maybe isn't getting the baseballs um, at the rate that uh, the average outfielder in the league is getting to them at. And we look at him, we say, wow, first step reaction is really good and top end speed is really good, but boy, acceleration is, is off, something's going on there. And so we identify maybe some running mechanic flaws in there, and then we identify maybe some strength flaws in there. Maybe he's not really good with his hips, so we put him in, a, you know, maybe a, a single leg glute bridge, or we put him in a, um, you know, an RFE with some type of tempo control, and we work on some sled pushes with some hip drive in there, and then we really try to regrain, like retrain and ingrain those movement patterns of acceleration so he can use his first step to get into a good position to accelerate out to reach even maybe a higher top end speed. Um, and so that can really, you know, that can really influence what we maybe do with a player in December when we have the most time for them to train and we can train them the hardest. That might be our focus for them versus an outfielder that maybe is struggling with top end speed and maybe they need to take a little bit of weight off and they need to work on their cycling a little bit more than they need to work on their piston action and their running mechanics. And so we could have two outfielders training in LA at the same time that are vying for the same position they're on two completely different things that potentially will make them a better outfielder. Brandon, you talk about those processes there, and I just want to ask Brandon, who would be involved in those conversations at a coaching and staff level? Of course, the first person you'll go to is probably going to be the player, right? Yeah, obviously the first conversation we have as a player is, are you willing and able to do this? Is this something that you're interested in getting better in? Because we're not going to look at trying to train somebody that doesn't want to get better it potentially could be a waste of both of our times and the first this, the second person i'm going to go talk to then is you know neil ramp our head athletic trainer i'm going to him and his staff somebody on there to say hey we're, we're thinking about doing this with this guy do you see any potential limitations here do you see anything going on with his hips with his low back that that, that might make this worse and they they might say yeah we we do but it's something that we think we can attack as well at the same time so thanks for the heads up and so maybe they'll They'll put them on maybe like a pelvic repositioning program or they'll put them on something that will give them a different link tension relationship or a core stabilization program that maybe loosen up a little bit of the psoas and the hip flexors so they don't have to be doing two jobs at one time. Second thing I'm going to do is go to the skill coach and I'm going to let them know, hey, I'm going to try to work on this right now, but this, is, this, this does no good unless you and I go out here with him and try to regrain some of the uh, uh, retrain some of the movement patterns in the actual sports specific skill. Give me a couple of weeks to get his hips right. Give me a couple of weeks to get you know his movement patterns right so he understands how this goes. But we can't wait too long to try to put it back into the baseball piece so that he, he needs to accelerate forward. If he needs to drop step and go over his left shoulder or over his right shoulder, um, that, that he knows how to do that when we get to spring training. And that's not the first time that he does it. I wanted to ask you about SNC protocols, Brandon. Obviously, they develop over time, and perhaps you can talk a little bit about the ways in which data enables you to implement new protocols and drive that evolution. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny how these things kind of cycle in and out, right? Like some of the stuff I was doing in 2007, 2008, 
um, it still pops into my head is like, wow, that, that would be a really good, uh, that would be a really good resource. So data has been able to uh, really influence us from a standpoint that we, we have a lot of, we have a lot of problems that we're trying to solve. And a lot of those problems can be very, very similar. And we can now go back and look historically at that data and see like, wow, we saw this outfielder with these biometrics, with this, this type of movement screen and these types of strength numbers. And we're seeing almost the exact same thing right now. And so we can pull that program out and we don't, it's not just based on what we think or what we thought, but we actually go back and look at historical data from five, six, seven years ago and say like, wow, this is a really good case subject for that, that, that we could use it again. Or maybe there's some really, really minor differences and, you know, we'll avoid those when we're training this player, but we don't have to recreate the wheel every time that we work with an athlete because it's all there for us. And obviously on a day-to-day -day basis, you're collecting huge amounts of data. But how are levels of access to athlete data managed at the Dodgers? I presume the athlete has a huge say in who can see what and when they can see it. Yeah, for us it's easy. The athlete owns the data. Um, and so the, the athlete, especially at the major league level and the CBA, they, they will own the data and everything is theirs and who they decide to share it with is up to them. And so... I'm just very fortunate that the athletes are willing to share with myself and my staff and the same thing with our athletic training staff, our sports med staff, because um, they know that we're putting them in a position to get better. We want them to be better and we're not going to use the information against them. So anything that, anything that is worn by a player or done physically on a player, the player owns that data. Uh, and then they, you know, they give us privilege then to take a look at it and help them make changes to their program. Um, the stuff that is kind of eye in the sky, the stat cast, the track mans of the world, that stuff that I guess you could say major league baseball owns or the team owns. Um, and we also share that with them, but that's, that's seen by, you can see that from, you know, the civilian world too. So the public has access to that. The player has access to that. So we try to minimize uh, the information that we give out to as many people, you know, to the least amount of people as possible, um, because we don't want the players feeling like there's a threat there that we would ever compromise them in any way. And if you reflect on your time at the Dodgers, has there ever been anything that's taken you by surprise, Brandon, in terms of your work with athletes and athlete management systems? Oh, sure. I mean, when I, I was gung-ho and I've never had, a, I've always had an SNC mindset, let's go make these guys better. And so I've never had a bad bone in my body towards trying to do anything, you know, that would ruin a player's career or put them in a position where they, like I said earlier, like they maybe wouldn't sign a big enough contract or a bigger contract or lose playing time or anything like that. And, um, I wasn't thinking like a player and I, and I should have been thinking like a player of like how it would be perceived by them with all this information and how it potentially could hurt them. Um, and so it just changed my thinking right away uh, of how to communicate and how to, and really just to be tight lipped with information and making sure that they know that I'm the only one that will, will have access to it or the three or four people that they allow will have access to it because they're the most, they're the reason why we're all here. The players are the reason why we're all here. And I want to make sure that they know that and they, that they know that I'm telling everybody else that too. That's a fantastic position to be in. And do you find that you have more player buy-in now than you would have done at the start of your tenure? 
Yeah, I think continuity of our staff helps a ton with that, number one. Uh, and then number two, just being in L.A. affords a lot of opportunities that maybe Milwaukee or Pittsburgh or, or even New York and Boston don't have where guys live in L.A. year-round. And so we're very fortunate. They don't have to train with us. They can go home on November 1st and not we don't have to see them again until February 15th or 20th. And a lot of them stay there and we've developed a close relationship because we have a really good thing going on with our strength conditioning and medical staff in the off season at Dodger Stadium and at Camelback Ranch in Arizona where, where we see almost all 40 of our players in the off season for some extended period of time. Right, so there's been plenty of surprises in your work, but what about lessons? What are some of the lessons you've learned along the way? There's definitely, like I, I was always surprised of, uh, you know, I can always be surprised by players' reactions and because it never comes from a bad place for me, but I can understand their perception at times. But there's definitely been a ton of lessons and, and I, not so much lessons as reminders of like, don't forget why you're here. Like this is the most impactful thing that we can do is help the players to help them go out and succeed because if they succeed, then we win. And if we win, that's success as an organization. And, and that's kind of the hierarchy, the way I look at it. And we're all in this thing together whether you're, you know, whether you're the president of the baseball operations or quite frankly, you're, uh, you know, you're the custodian that takes care of the locker room for the players after they leave. Like everybody plays a part and your energy really plays a part in that. Your effectiveness of work really plays a part in that. And so like, it's just, everything should be geared towards putting them in the best position possible to give them the best energy to surround themselves with to go out and perform at the highest level. There's one final area I wanted to touch upon, Brandon, and that's the future. What are some of the challenges you see coming down the track in the near future? And what are some of the innovations and developments you expect to see in the next year or two? It's kind of, like this stuff's coming. Like it's the, the, from a player perspective, they are becoming increasingly um, curious about what to track, why to track it, when to track it, and how it affects their performance. And so I think that um, the old model of coaching was very vertical, right? You have a head coach, you have assistant coaches, and then, and then you have players. And maybe this is also just an American model, but the newer model is driven by the players. And I want the players to be driving this car and, and asking a lot of questions and wanting access to the data and wanting to measure what they feel like they need to measure with education from us to make sure that hey, like you might be wasting your time with that or here's a good metric to look at instead of that and help that drive their practice, their development, their game planning on a daily basis. Uh, because I think it will be so much better when they're driving it and when they're, when, when they're in it and they want to do it like this, the potential of this is huge because it goes from 30 teams, strength coaches or sports scientists uh, trying to monitor this stuff to now 25 players on each team learning different things and, and picking up different points of view and learning different things about their bodies that they're sharing with each other all the time. Brandon, I think that might be a perfect time to wrap things up. Thank you very much for your time and thank you for speaking to me. Yeah, no problem, John. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun.